Hello. Hello to everybody on Zoom and YouTube. This is my favorite bit. I love to see you all smiling and waving back. Good morning. And of course, it's a great pleasure to be here together in the Gateway Center. Uh, this morning, I'm really excited to be taking us through the next part of our excellent series. I'm sure you'll agree, our excellent series on praying, the Lord's Prayer. We started um, three weeks ago, didn't we, with John looking at what it means to be children of God. And then Caleb uh, looked at um, what it means to keep God's name holy, sacred, revered, hallowed be your name. And then, of course, Jenny had three words last week, didn't she? Your kingdom come. Now, this morning, we're going to build on that. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to get on board with God's agenda. So the next part of the Lord's Prayer, of course, is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I love John's introduction. I actually wish I'd thought of the iron bar trick. That was great. And he's absolutely right. As children, we ask for things all the time, don't we? And actually, really, as adults, we tend to do that a lot as well. If I was to ask you this morning, what does it look like to get your own way? What would you ask for if you could have anything? I wonder what you might think of first. You see, it's easy to approach God, isn't it? And ask him to get our will done. Yet in this prayer, Jesus flips it on its head. Furthermore, as children of God, we can't pray this prayer as bystanders. We get drafted into action. So I wonder, what does it look like to get your will done in your life? And then as we approach this prayer this morning, how does it feel to say, your will be done? When we pray like this, we pray in a radical way. So here's the point this morning, and if you take nothing else away from what I'm going to say, I've bottled it down to, uh, whittled it down to five words, and the five words are these. Your will, Lord, not mine. Nice and simple, five words. So before we start, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we have together this morning. We thank you uh, that we can be together in lots of different ways. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, open our hearts this morning to hear from you. Our prayer is that our hearts and the hearts of our generation will become open to what you have for us and more aligned with your kingdom purposes. Amen. So... <laughs> I've got three points. Now, I did try and make them all start with the same letter, but it was too hard, so I didn't. But two of them include the word God, so I thought that was quite good. But anyway, the first point is this. God's will is better. Okay, so God's will is better. God is sovereign, isn't he? He's our king. We've been exploring this through our series and what that looks like. We know there's no limits to what God can do. Our God is a God who is never helpless, never frustrated. Our God doesn't ever get backed into a corner. He's never desperate. He's never at a loss. In fact, we can say that whenever God acts, he acts in a way that pleases him. 
And so we can say this morning, your will, Lord. Now let's go right back to the beginning. Um, And John's referred to this already this morning, but let's go right back to the beginning. And even before God made the world, he had a plan. In Ephesians chapter 1, we read this. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Even before he'd begun making creation, he'd decided on his perfect will, his perfect plan. And so we see in Genesis, don't we, chapter 1, that God made the world. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God's will was to create a world that he could enjoy with us. His will is perfect and good. Yet we know the story didn't start and end there. And this is where the bent, the bent pipe picture comes back. Humanity chose to go its own way. And in the doctrine of the fall, we see for the first time, obedience give way to disobedience. Adam and Eve, when they ate the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, were ashamed of their nakedness and were expelled. And to consequently, our lives now revolve around our will. I'm going to share a verse here that, from Genesis chapter 6 that sums this up um, really clearly for me. It's not an easy verse to read, but it says this. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. We have to take this seriously, don't we? Humanity fell. Our only inclination was evil. And in fact, Paul in Romans is clear about this as well. He talks about the fact that we are flesh. And he talks about flesh, doesn't he? In Romans chapter 8, he says, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Day by day, we strive to do our own thing, don't we? We're greedy, we're selfish, we ask for more. We look all around for satisfaction. Yet when Jesus told us to pray like this, he was instructing us to submit. This prayer is not about getting God to do our will. It doesn't say, my will be done by your power, please. And that's hard, isn't it? But don't worry, we're not going to stop here. That's not it. Without somebody, this is impossible. And I'm sure you can guess who I'm talking about. God didn't give up on humanity. Out of his love for us, he made a way for us to live beyond our flesh and beyond the heart. I just want you to look quickly at at the first covenant that God made with mankind. Because this frames God's sovereign purpose beautifully. Again, in Genesis chapter 9, following the flood, we read um, the covenant that God made with Noah. And he says, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. 
This was significant. It's a significant part in God's story because he chooses to make a promise. It's an unconditional promise. There's nothing that mankind needs to do or say or achieve. Here, God sets down his sovereign plan, his will, his parameters. In this covenant, God is saying to to Noah, but to us as well, I've got a plan and I will bring it about to completion in my time when I'm ready. When Jesus returns, he will gather up the elect who've been purchased by his salvation. So here's the bit we come in with. Our lives should reflect our ambition to try and submit. And this is only made possible because of what Jesus did on the cross. To do this, we have to repent, don't we? And bring our lives under the sovereignty of Christ. But as we repent, we can approach the throne of our sovereign Lord because of his grace. Romans 6, verse 14 says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. And so we say, your will, Lord, not mine. And this is good news. It's good news, just like the good news that Caleb just shared about finances, so that we can celebrate, but even better than a bit of surplus that we've got this year. This is great news, isn't it? On our own strength, this is impossible. But because of Jesus, it's possible. So, first thing, God's will is better. But second point, really, is, well, how do we know what God's will is for us? And I think this is a a challenge for many, well, for all of us, isn't it? I put many Christians, but it's a challenge for all Christians, is discerning what God's will actually is for us. What does God want for my life? for my career, for my family, for where I'm going to live, for what I'm going to watch on TV maybe, I don't know, all the things that we think about. So how do we discern his will? And this is my second point. Get to know God and you'll get to know his will. I think it's fair to say, I had a whole, line of, a whole load of um, jokes ready to make about marriage, but I'm not going to do that. I had it all ready to go, but I dared. I haven't got the confidence. And Katie's down here in the centre, so I'll, I'll bottle that. But it's true, though, isn't it? Just like with our spouses and our friends, uh, you don't need to be told to do everything, do you? Sometimes it's just really clear. Sometimes it's just a look, isn't it? <laughs> That's as far as I'm going. I'm not going any further. After 15 years, I've got a bit of wisdom now. But it's true, isn't it? Any level of relationship, we don't always have to wait to be told. Sometimes we just know, don't we? But tell you what's really good. With our Heavenly Father, we've got his word. This is one of the best ways that we discern his will. We get to know God by reading the Bible. And there are many key areas of scripture that speak into our lives explicitly. For example, we know, don't we, it's not good to steal a really simple example, but none of us who follow him are going to choose to go and make a career out of stealing. Yet a great frustration, I suppose, for many of us is there's lots of areas of our life where things aren't quite as explicit. Yet God's word brings us into contact with the person, the heart, indeed the character of God, and that informs a whole lot of issues that are addressed in the Bible. 
Therefore, let the word speak fully and deeply over your life. Seek out and prioritize time with his word. Ask for help. Caleb's just um, mentioned the Into the Word course that a few of us have been doing. Go and find out more. And as you read his word and you're dealing with difficult issues and you're not sure where to go, approach with, with a heart that says, your will, Lord, not mine. I've already made this point, but we have to spend time with God as well, reading his word, but just spend time with him. Enjoy the good things that he has put in your life. Bring, bring the good things in with him. Chat and spend time and listen. And I wanted to make a little point here about silence and solitude. This is something, and this is a little bit surprising for those of you who do know me, but this is something <laughs> I really want to do more of. I want to retreat and listen. Because you know what? We live in a culture of constant motion, don't we? Netflix doesn't let us sit still anymore. You finish, uh, you finish watching something, you've got five seconds before the next thing starts. It's not a problem in our house because we just watch back-to-back Call the Midwife. So it's not a problem. Next episode's on tonight at 8 o'clock. I'm not watching Line of... Is it Line of Duty, Call of Duty? It's called Line of Duty, it's Call the Midwife. But we, I don't know what it is. It's all about call the midwife for us in our house. But, we're, but we are. We're, we're constantly, right, what's the next thing to watch? We're surrounded by accessibility, fast food, high-speed internet, if you're lucky. Yet, actually, when do we stop? Silence is an act of faith, isn't it? When we're silent, we believe that God will make himself known in some way. And it's countercultural to our consumerism. Our prayers are often filled with requests for God, yet this is a way we can actively seek to just listen to what his will is for us. I just wanted to read uh, briefly from Habakkuk, and we see here a direct link with listening and adoration and worship. It says in Habakkuk 2.20, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The practice of waiting and listening allows, allows us to be shaped into worshippers who lean into God and what he's got for us. In the midst of stress, anxiety, pain, suffering, joy, peace, even prosperity, we need to be reminded that God reigns over it all. And what better way to discern than to listen and lean in and say, your will, Lord, not mine. And just as I bring this section to an end, look around. We're part of a body of believers. We read the word. We listen. But also, we've got each other, haven't we? There's a great verse here from Colossians 2, uh, 2 verse 2. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God namely Christ. As you continue to follow the Lord's will in your life, seek out those around you in fellowship who you know and trust. We don't always have all the answers, do we? But we can encourage each other and share our burdens together. Let's encourage each other as a body of believers, as we say, your will, Lord, not mine. 
So in this prayer, Jesus tells us that God's will is perfect. His will's better than ours. And we try hard to submit, don't we? And we try to discern it. We read his word, we listen, we ask each other those questions. Yet that brings me on to my third point. Just because we want to say yes, and we sometimes do, and we look for the right thing to do, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And so I want you to finish by just saying this. When we pray like this, we have to trust and obey. As we go through life, we face many doubts. And one of the key aspects of this section of the Lord's Prayer is that as we surrender to his will, we can enjoy the satisfaction of knowing that in the end, God's will is best. To trust God is to accept his guiding hand. We've got to let him mold us. After all, we're made to do his will, which John's already said this morning. Think of the times when you've had to trust in people. Sometimes that's really good, isn't it? But of course, sometimes people, all people, let each other down. Yet God never lets us down. And it's here that we find our deepest joy. Even though we do and will experience pain and suffering, a relationship with our God means intimacy. As we depend on him more, we go for provision and protection, don't we? And here we gain a glimpse of what is to come, building on what Jenny showed us last week. A perfect king and a perfect kingdom made anew here on earth. It's coming. And so we can say, your will, Lord, not mine. And so just to finish now and lead into a time of worship. This is a revolutionary prayer, isn't it? It's an act of praying against a sinful world system. This is a longing for a curse to be reversed, for heaven's healing and hope to prevail upon the brokenness of our families, our community, our world. We've already sung that this morning in our first worship section, haven't we? Restore, reveal your heart to us. So do you want to be a part of God's plan right here, right now? on earth because he wants you to be a part of his plan you are his plan we are then we must pray for his will to overrule our will his will is better we must discern what he's got for us read his word listen to him spend time as a body of believers and we must trust in him as we do that I've asked the band to lead us in a new hymn now called Yet Not I, but through Christ in me, they're here. Because at the end of the day, we can only submit to God's will because of Jesus. Having Jesus in our lives means that as we wrestle with our sinful natures, we contend with his strength. Even our final resurrection is made possible by the gift of Christ in us. We're about to sing these words. No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future is sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon. And he was raised to overthrow the grave. 
He will bring us to glory. In our weakness, he is strong. And he will complete the work that he has begun. I'm going to finish by reading straight from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delighted weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am, in, then I am strong. Your will, Lord, not mine. He himself is within us, leading us home, step by step.